Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Um, I'm really excited that you guys are here today. The goal of our program is to encourage civil dialogue by doing two things. We want you to hear from people who are doing it, and we want to give you the chance to engage in it. I also hope you learned something today. We were super intentional about who we invited, both as panelists but also as students. So we have three classrooms from three different cities, three different districts, three really great panelists. Marky is a writer. Miles hosts his own video series, and Elise, Elise does a lot. <laughs> Elise, my first question is for you. You're an activist, an executive director, a digital organizer, and a college student. You do a lot of things, and it seems like you're interested in a lot of things. How did you get your start in activism, and how did you get your start in content creation? Yeah. Oh, oh my God, this is loud. Okay. Um, <laughs> first of all, it feels so uh, funny just being on a stage, and like I f- feel like we're the same age. Um, but I, and I, I would like to say, like, um, I started being involved with activism by um, being impacted by the wildfires in 2018. I'm sure we all remember. Um, and. We were wearing masks, um, or at least some people were wearing masks, and this is two years before COVID. Um, the sky was painted red, and you know people weren't going outside because it was super smoky, and you can just feel it in the air. And then two years later, it was the exact same thing with the wildfires, but that with COVID, and just realized, okay, well, the climate crisis is hitting me. We have a presidency where they're denying that this is even an issue, and so... Uh, I I really feel like I have to get involved. And so at some point I just started documenting the Trump presidency because I didn't want to be gaslit by the administration. Like there's something going wrong every single week and I feel like I forgot what happened two weeks ago. And so I just was making a doc uh, detailing it and sourcing it and it turned out to be, you know, 17, 18 pages and I posted it on TikTok (laughs) and a lot of people saw it um, and used it to convince their friends and family not to vote for Trump. And, you know, I could never do that. Um, But family members that understand, you know, have close relationships with, you know, people who have voted red for a really long time were were able to use my resources to help engage in a productive conversation. And it's just kind of went from there. Um, I post a lot about the relationship between youth engagement and climate and um, in voting, but in so many other different ways. And um, that's really just how I, I got my start making TikToks in my bedroom. <laughs> uh, Miles, I want to ask you a version of the same question. So the model for journalism and media was for a long time. You studied journalism for four years in college. You had a bunch of internships. You worked at small outlets. And then hopefully 30 years later, you ended up on TV or working for a huge newspaper. But with the rise of the Internet and social media and cell phones, that whole model has changed. People can create content at a much younger age and distribute that content much more easily than they could even like 20 years ago. I know that you got your start in media when you were still in high school. Can you tell us about how you got started doing what you do and what the benefits were of getting into it at a young age? Okay. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, I started at YR Media, which is a nonprofit based in um, Oakland, California. So right across the water. Um, And I mean, the reason I got involved in that was just like one, my mom was like, you're in the house too much. Like you need to find a hobby. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And um, YR Media was dope because it had, like you said, media. So it was like every aspect of media. So there was music production, there was journalism, there was video production, there was all these different things. And it was like youth taught and kind of youth led. So it's like, you know, you're learning things from people that 
are literally in your same class or might be a grade older or a grade younger than you. And that was just like super dope to me to know that like I'm being taught by like, you know, my peers. And it made it a lot easier for me to like, you know, retain the information and to like actually just get involved. Um, I think to get to your second part of your question, which was like, why is it so like, why is it important or what has, how, how has it impacted me to get involved in media so much at a, such a young age? I think working with like I said, doing that peer-to-peer -peer kind of work, it shows you kind of what's important for, for your group. You know what I mean? It's like for your demographic, for your, for your generation. You know what I mean? Like we were talking, every, we would talk every day. So we talk sometimes about work. So it's like, oh, let's do videos. Let's do this, do that. And then other days we'd be talking about pop culture and just things that were happening in our day-to-day -day life. And it was, that, it was that kind of conversation that like really got me motivated to be like, all right, this is something that I want to pursue seeing it like being around other young people was kind of the thing that made me be like all right mm. this is why it's important for me to do it and i mean kind of just going to the fact that like you know we're preparing young people to take over right like young people are going to be in charge eventually right like some of y'all are probably like 17 18 years old you know you're going to be voting eventually you're going to be you know doing all that stuff so it's like being involved with other people your age it just i don't know it motivated me to be like i want to do this and i want to be able to help my my peers and we have some students from the East Bay. If they wanted to get involved with YR Media, mm -hmm. can they just reach out to them? Uh, I feel like you can. So they do it on like a quarterly system. It's also changed like uh, since I was there. Like it used to be called Youth Radio. Now it's called YR Media and a bunch of other things since then. Um, but yeah, they usually do it like every quarter or so. Um, so I would just go to the website if you're interested, YR Media, and see like when they're taking applications. Um, it's like a three-month program where you're just learning a little bit about everything. So you're learning music production. You're learning journalism. You're learning video production. You might even learn like graphics and stuff like that. And it's just like a cool way to kind of just see, even if you're not interested in any of that stuff, but just to kind of see like what is it that you like and that definitely like will help you kind of figure out like what it is what your lane is and that at least it did for me marky you've been writing and editing for over 20 years mm -hmm. so you've seen this generational shift that we're talking about up close when it comes to informative content longer form writing and it's now become shorter video content is dominant what has it been like to see that shift and what do you think the benefits are yeah, well, hi, everybody. Thanks so much for coming. Um, you know, it's been kind of a long journey for um, for protests um, to evolve in the media. You know, um, a lot of protests is such a media-based form, an art form, really, that really the, the purpose of protest is to grab attention um, however you can. You know, early protests were making pamphlets, giving them out um, through video and television, like the civil rights protests, where most people were motivated by seeing what was happening on television. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of gone hand in hand, video and writing throughout its evolution. Um, but of course, it's sped up in the past 20 years, which has been great. I love it. We have direct contact now. Mm. Um, you're able to get your message out immediately. You can connect with other people, which is really a big point of protest um, to find your community. And yeah, it's been wonderful, really. Awesome. Uh, Elise, as we talk about media and content creation, I want to note that you're all up here because you choose to use your platforms to talk about social and political issues. Um, and you all have chosen to talk about very specific social issues. Elise, you've made videos about nuclear energy, workers' rights, public housing. There are thousands and thousands of causes to get behind. How do you choose the causes you want to be a part of and which protests to go to and uh, what to make a video about? Yeah, um, I have a little motto of think global, act local. And I, you know, make content about what's going on in the world and I'm 
we're all very aware of how bleak things can be, but I believe that acting, you know, acting local and just getting involved with your community is when you get rejuvenated and you realize, okay, there's, I can make a tangible difference and see that difference right outside my window. And, um, you know, when I talk about universal healthcare in California and a bill about that sure it, it relates to climate which is you know my main passion but it's also because it's California and I'm a Californian and I know how much I would benefit from having free healthcare that covers everything that I need and um that's really what I try to do and and when it comes to talking to other people it's okay well what what impacts you like what what are you dealing with and maybe how can I engage in a conversation with you to realize, okay, like, these are what we align with, you know, this is how climate might might impact, you know, housing, which you are more passionate about. Um, here's how climate might impact immigration, which you're super passionate about. You know, there's a million things to talk about, but they're all related. And especially with climate being my main focus, you really realize just how related they are. <laughs> you know, we're going to have millions of climate refugees, you know, thinking about the solutions, you can have zero carbon housing while we build more affordable housing. Um, and it's just the list goes on. And so I, I try to see how they relate to each other and keep bringing it back. So it's not overwhelming to people of like, oh, well, I have to deal with this and this and that. But no, we can deal with it all together. And um, but yeah, I think when it comes to what I choose to talk about, it's really labor and climate and how they intersect with other things. Do you guys want to jump in on that? How do you choose where to focus your energy? I think it kind of finds you a little bit, you know, I mean, like um, for me, uh, you know, uh, LGBTQ rights just came with a package um, because uh, I was one of those young people who it was kind of hard to hide that I was gay. So, you know, I kind of had to be out and proud to begin with. And that's then this was during this was during the time of AIDS. This was a, during the time of intense homophobia in this country. Um, and so I really had no choice but to start fighting for my voice and being who I was. Um, and from that, I got involved with so many wonderful people and so many wonderful causes that it just kind of branched out because, of course, it's intersectional from LGBTQ rights. There's black rights. There's brown rights. There's economic struggles um, and justice, um, social justice, economic, or, um, environmental issues. So really... You, for me, it was kind of starting with who I was and then rippling outwards to kind of encompass all these other great causes. Mm. Yeah, I guess for me, it's it's a similar thing. Um, I focus kind of like on community. Like, that's where I start, right? It's like I look out my window and I'm like, okay, what am I seeing that I like or don't like? You know what I'm saying? And then it kind of just evolved from there. Um, and then with a show like Above the Noise, it's like, you know, our target audience, like we're in classrooms. You know, I work in the education department. So these videos are being shown to middle schoolers and high schoolers. So we have to think, okay, what is going to be relevant to them? What are they going to understand? What do they care about? So it's like whether it's interacting with youth directly and being like, hey, what are some issues that you want us to tackle? Or it can be like, okay, I've been seeing a bunch of like, for, for example, I'm working on an episode on highways and removing highways from cities. That started because I saw TikToks about walkable cities. And I was like, well, you know, I feel like that's something that I've seen a lot of conversation about a lot of people talking about walkable cities and why aren't cities more walkable? So many cars, blah, blah, blah. And then that snowballed to highways. And then my producer was like, well, uh, 
you know, most of our audience doesn't drive. So like, why would they care about freeways or highways? And then it became about the health impacts of those highways and kind of just like seeing like, you know, how the disproportionate, you know, when you put a freeway in this community, how it impacts the health versus over here where they don't have freeways. And it was like, we'll see how, you know, and kind of just relating it to them and like how it impacts them. So it's like always kind of like a snowball effect where we start with one kind of idea, like, okay, I care about this thing. And then because of all the rules of just like trying to fit it into a YouTube video with PBS, it becomes this other thing that hopefully you know people like and watch and can you know have conversations about young people hate cars so you're on the right track <laughs> like, it's like that's and that's what a lot of the tiktoks were it was like so much of it was just like ah i gotta drive five minutes just to go to the grocery store i gotta drive 10 minutes just to, and it's like for us like that doesn't that might not seem that crazy but like when you're going to, in a place like texas or something like that where everything is literally 20 minutes away it's like you know and what's interesting about that is there is a whole history of being anti-car, being anti-freeway, um, from revolts against the urban development, urban redevelopment that displaced so many communities of color um, in the 1950s and 60s, through to the freeway revolt of San Francisco in the 1980s that allowed, that kind of stopped the freeway from going right through Golden Gate Park. Mm -hmm. So that's why we have the panhandle and most of Golden Gate Park now. So there is really kind of a ripple effect in a lot of these causes. And it's so great to see how young people are embracing this kind of and continuing this kind of history it's so right. interesting but in a different you know format and also because it directly affects them right yeah at least your videos or at least your videos on tiktok tend to be shorter like one to two minutes super tight super concise but miles your videos are a little longer like yeah. five to ten minutes yeah how did you decide on that length and do you think in a five to ten minute video you can include enough information to spark a good conversation uh, to answer the second part of that question, yeah, I think within five to ten minutes, you can definitely like spark enough information. You can definitely give enough information and spark that that light to have a conversation. Um, I think that how we got to five to ten minutes is kind of like, oh, it's a little wonky. I've been doing this for seven years. Um, so when we first started, our episodes were a lot shorter, so they were closer to that five minute range, and we were pretty we were pretty cool about it. You know, like kind of give you an overview of a topic, maybe some things that are happening in the news, some headlines that we might have seen, and like why that's why that conversation's happening, and then why that's relevant to you. But once the show kind of started to expand, we realized that there was kind of like more of a need. Um, so it was like, okay, we're not emphasizing enough of like how young people are either impacted by this or like making changes because of this. So like that kind of grew the time of what we can do um and then also like the, our timeline for how we do episodes like sometimes like i'm sure you how long does it take you to do a tiktok uh yeah it depends but it can be hours just right. to condense it yeah. right so for us an episode can take sometimes two months it takes oh like eight, you know exactly okay, it takes it takes eight weeks so it's like we're basically like becoming experts in a topic like researching it like to hell like till like, we yeah. can't read any more articles about it mm. and then we write as much as we can and then we condense it down. And then like, you know, when, when we see that first cut or like that first script and we're like, oh my gosh, this is 20 minutes. You know what I'm saying? So it's like 10 is kind of like, yes, we got it down. Like, I don't think we could ever, you know, <laughs> we, we talked about it. Like, how can we get TikToks? And it's like, we can do like half of a section of a video. Like, this is an interesting fact that we can throw in and put some graphics behind. But it's a lot tougher to be able to kind of get to that shorter content. But I do think that you can. Uh, spark a conversation in five to ten minutes because it's like for us it's like we're asking that question that we want you to think about throughout the whole episode we're giving you the context to understand why we're asking you the question and then we're showing you kind of like relevant examples that are either contemporary or relevant like to you directly as a young person and then we bring that question back to the end so it's like okay what did you learn you know what i'm saying like what conversations can you have with your peers right now based on what we just talked about 
And then we kind of, and that's kind of just like, we just throw that at you and just hope for the best. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it works out. Yeah, for me, I, I see it more of a constraint. I mean, I'm, I'm meeting people where they're at. Um, I'm given 60 seconds from TikTok or three minutes max. And so I, I just have to do with that. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's more of choosing the platform rather than choosing that length of content. Like I started on TikTok for a reason in 2020. That's where everybody was. And I it was had a special moment where anyone could have gone viral, really. And so I knew that even though I had zero followers, if I just swallow my pride, <laughs> make some content without telling any of my friends, <laughs> like maybe there was a chance that it could do well. And um, and it did. And so I just yeah, I, I've realized that still even, you know, now that we're not in uh, you know, lockdown, uh, we I still have an opportunity to talk to young people directly. This is the app where I can engage people that I know want to be engaged and um, I have 60 seconds to do it. So mm -hmm. I work with that. <laughs> uh, Marky, you have two books, both of which have been written with teenage and high school audiences in mind, in mind, young people in mind. You've said before that the books you write are the types of books you wish you had been able to read when you were younger. Can you tell us a bit about yourself when you were younger and the types of social movements you got involved with? Yeah, sure. Well, I already talked a little bit about um, the gay rights movement that was happening that I was involved in. But from then, there were a lot of things happening. I think the first time I really got involved in a protest protest was the um, Gulf War that was happening in 1993. Mm -hmm. um, and I was uh, just entering college at that time. So it was a really kind of mind-opening experience. I was in downtown Detroit, so there were already a lot of social forces happening there at that time. Um, and suddenly I was part of this kind of anti-war effort that was really complex. Um, and it kind of taught me um, a little bit about organizing, a lot about organizing. Um, it taught me about how to use the media that was available at that time. The internet was just kind of a baby, so there wasn't that much about it. But, um, but we were able to reach people through television, through radio, um, through basically just uh, traditional civil disobedience practices like sitting out in front of the hall and making sure, you know, people, uh, administrators couldn't get in until we got in the newspaper kind of things. Um, so that was really an interesting um, kind of anti-war experience um, for me. And it also overlapped with the gay rights experience because um, it was such a kind of a rebellious gesture that it drew other queer people um, mm -hmm. to the movement. Um, so I met a lot of people in my community that way. Um, and that's when I kind of realized that uh, protest is really the purpose of it is building community and also making you feel confident enough to speak out because you're with other people who share your views. It's so isolating when you think you're the only person going through something or you're the only person who has these types of thoughts. Um, when you can finally connect with somebody else, let alone a whole group of people who shares your views, it's just so incredibly empowering. I think everybody knows what that feels like. So. Hmm. The thing for me, and I said this before, that ties you all together is your willingness to talk about certain issues. Not only willingness, but I feel like you guys run towards these difficult conversations. And the big theme of today is civil dialogue, talking to each other, mm -hmm. talking to people we disagree with. Why do you think it's important that we talk and listen to each other, specifically with people that we disagree with? This is for all of you. Man, that's a, that's a big question. Um, I guess I talked through experience. So we did an episode one time on um, police and schools. Um, they're called like school, re uh, school resource officers sometimes, R SROs. Um, 
And that was a big episode for us because I talked to, it was one of the first times that I talked to literally every side of the argument. Mm. So I talked to students that were impacted by it that were like, I don't want cops in my schools. I talked to um, a school research officer who was like the head of the department in somewhere in Texas. So like his whole thing was like, we're just trying to ensure student safety. We just want to make sure, you know, that people can get an education and not have to worry about their lives. And then I also talked to someone who was like a part of a school district who was like, yeah, I understand the needs of the student and I want to protect these students, but also, you know, I, I have to protect the students. Um, so I, it was important for me because at first I just had the students. I was like, I just, you know, no cops in schools. I agree. You know what I mean? Like my bias was coming out. Um, but after talking to the RSO and just like hearing what he had to say and kind of just like why he was doing the work he was doing, it's like he's not he wasn't like inherently evil. You know what I mean? It wasn't like he was like, yeah, we're going to send these cops to schools and these cops are going to harm students. Like that wasn't his intention. His intention was to protect the school, make sure that people were safe. And uh, the conversation that we had was really illuminating because because like I was I was trying to press him, you know what I mean? I was like, yo, like, do you see this as a problem? Like, do you see the issue here? And he understood that, you know, there are some bad apples and all that other stuff. But like he really was a he was a really smart guy. And it was just like really helpful for me to be able to like step back out of that bias and be like, all right, you know, I can see that you're not doing this like with malice or like with ill intent. So it made the conversation a lot easy. It made the conversation a lot more easy to have especially when I went back and talked to the students like, well, he's saying this and, you know, this and that. And it just like helped make that episode one of the, my favorite episodes that we've done just because I was able to talk to every every type of person. Um, now, you don't always <laughs> want to do that. Um, we've had episodes where it's like, you know, we don't want to necessarily talk to the person that's racist or homophobic just because they just, you know, we don't want to amplify their voices. We don't want to do like false equivalents, which is something that we have to deal with a lot at Above the Noise because our whole the whole point of our show is showing you every perspective, right? We're trying to show you that everything's not always black and white. It's There's always a gray area. But sometimes like you have to be smart and be aware and be like, okay, this person's intentions aren't like good. Like they're not arguing with you in good faith you know what i mean like there's no good faith in this conversation they just don't respect you or don't respect what you have to say so you have to be able to recognize that and um that's something that we go back and forth with and you know we've, we've done pretty well i feel where we have we've had few uh, we've had very few episodes where we've had that false equivalence or we've had to like push back and be like okay let's put this into a different perspective um so that's just like me talking like through the above the noise series because like that's like the most obvious one it's like all right sometimes it works and sometimes it's good you're like okay this was super cool super helpful i learned a lot i stepped out of my bias other times you're like no you still are a bad person <laughs> um elise why is it important that we talk to each other um, we're, we're not going to be able to do anything if we don't, um, <laughs> it's pretty simple, but I, I mean, this is speaking from somebody who, who's a climate nerd and, you know, knows that, you know, an Iowan soybean farmer who's voted red their whole life is impacted by climate too. And even though they've voted red and we may completely disagree and he may not even really like me based on my identities, but you know, it doesn't. It, it it matters, but at the same time, you know, you want you want to protect the you know the small farmer just as you want to, much as you want to protect you know an, a kid living in SF from wildfires. And um, we we all are at some point going to realize that this is a really bad crisis <laughs> and we need to combat it. Um, but at the same time, like I know that the space that I'm working in is not one to. I'm not going to be the one to convince that Iowan soybean farmer that he's in a crisis. Um, it's going to be his daughter, you know, and how can I 
how can I provide her the resources to talk to him? Mm. And when it comes to social media, we're in an echo chamber and getting likes and views is not going to ultimately create the just future that I'm striving for. Um, but what it does is it gives me people who already agree with me. So how can I, knowing that, instead of being frustrated by it, how can I use that to my advantage? How can I give people who agree with me resources to provide people, you know, in their, in their life uh, and convince them of, you know, using, using source statistics and such, but also, you know, maybe how can we use online as, and, and use it as leverage? Like mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be likes and views. What if we could all send an automatic false application to a striking Starbucks store to prevent scabs from being hired over there? And you know, what if we could do that in, at Starbucks, Kroger's, you striking Berkeley graduate students that that's what I do online is how can we go beyond likes and views and and actually use this echo chamber that we have to make a real difference on the ground um and so I, I I'm all for talking to people that disagree with you but you can also use people that agree with you to make a difference without having to put so much energy just <laughs> having a very tiring conversation with somebody who's just not fundamentally just has different experiences. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of energy is wasted on just jumping online and arguing with a stranger just so that you can feel better about <laughs> yourself or you can vent, um, you know, when that energy could go so much better to connecting with people on the ground or, um, you know, figuring out strategies of reaching, uh, getting a message out to people. I mean, you know, not that it doesn't feel good sometimes to vent, but, you know, it just kind of deflects the energy that you could be using to build coalitions um, and reach out to people who may not have the same advantages in communication um, that you have. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I would have to, building on Miles and Elisa's point, um, points which were terrific, it's, um, you know, the point of civil disobedience is to bring issues into the foreground, to keep the conversations going about things. When you are um, fighting for social justice, you're necessarily fighting against being silenced constantly, which just stops the conversation dead in the tracks. So you really have to come up with innovative ways of keeping these issues in the spotlight, keeping people's minds on these issues and these eyes on these issues. And really a lot of the brilliant protest organizers throughout history have been the ones who've been able to either create huge spectacles to keep people's, uh, you know, to keep issues and educate people about issues, or they've been able to just shut it down and say, like, look, you're not going to cross this bridge unless you talk to us about things. So, you know, there's various ways to keep conversations going. Um, at the same time, if someone does mean you harm, uh, you should not right. feel <laughs> obligated to reach out to them. Um, but at the same time, you want to keep these conversations going and these issues constantly in the spotlight. Yeah. For sure. Uh, if the main theme of today is civil dialogue. I think the sub-theme is that you're not too young to engage in it. Um, we have an audience of high school students here today. What would you say to a young person who says, I wanna talk with my friends and family about certain social and political issues. I wanna talk to my grandma about pronouns. I wanna talk to my dad about climate change, but I don't want them to make fun of me. I don't want them to dismiss me. I don't want them to cancel me. What advice would you give to that young person? Getting canceled by your parent is very <laughs> <laughs> funny thought. <laughs> Um, I'm, I honestly, it varies, you know what I mean? I think on one level, like sometimes you just have to be like, you just have to like take that leap sometimes, like sometimes depending on what that conversation might be, it might just be enough to be like, Hey, 
mom or dad or whoever like that's not cool and like that that could be the start of it right then and there like i still have those conversations with my mom like you know what i'm saying i'm almost 30 years old and it's like i still have to tell my mom sometimes like you know like that's not okay and she's like huh why and then i'll explain it to her like because x y and z and she's like oh i had no idea and then like that's you know but i can have that conversation with my parent i you know sometimes you can't have that conversation with an adult or with like a near peer or something like that but i think a lot of it is just like having like the you know just having the the being brave enough to just go for it and be like all right this isn't cool (laughs) i've been in many situations where i've been around people having like like i've been in that barber shop you know what i mean where somebody's talking about something that's just out of pocket something disrespectful and i've had to be the person like hey um this is not cool <laughs> and it's like i don't know if it's just me or the situations but luckily i've been it's been cool enough where people have been like all right i won't talk about this or i will take that next step and do my own research and then above the noise it's also been like that for a lot of people the comment section is always like huh i personally never thought about it like this or i thought i was this type of person but because of this because i've seen this episode i've been able to alter my perspective or change my perspective but for me i think a lot of it is i would just say like you gotta just start um you know the first step like you said you started with tiktok with zero followers you know what i'm saying it's like you you gotta just do it (laughs) part of it is just being like screw it nobody's doing it i care about this nobody's talking about it i'm gonna talk about it um my advice is just don't use the buzzwords that usually trigger a reaction like the s word don't say socialism but say the things (laughs) that kind of revolve around it of just you know i think you know people in the warehouse should have a say in how the business operation goes too <laughs> and like they're like yeah that that makes sense you know it shouldn't just be the shareholders that don't really know what's going on <laughs> and um you know and so you just kind of you cultivate the the feelings of you know, i i think that most people are good i that can be a controversial take but i i think that most people just want want the people around them to have a roof over their head too and food on the table and opportunity for their for their kids and themselves and i i think most people don't aren't malicious in that they they enjoy the existence of homeless people like you know it's it's not um a, a good feeling for anyone and so speaking with that underlying tone of you know okay well if we have this common understanding how can we take it from here and um especially when it comes to climate. I know a lot of young people want to talk to their parents about climate. Um, Make it not about climate. You know, how is climate impacting the issues that your parents do care about? Mm -hmm. Um, And then on top of that, like our parents came from the anti-war movement too. And, you know, my, my dad can speak on Vietnam and how horrible that was. But when I talked to him about, you know, socialism, which is kind of what we technically were going there to fight against, you know, that becomes a difficult issue, but maybe we can connect them and then have an engaging conversation. So, um, yeah, no buzzwords, but just speak on common ground and then see how you can take it from there. Cause usually it works out pretty well. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's terrific. And I have direct experience with that in that a lot of my relatives of are re- in the Midwest are resistant to talking about, um, the climate crisis. Um, and, I had read somewhere that this exact advice that kind of reorient your conversation to something that you both have in common, um, which, uh, 
may or may not have in common since I work in the media, but a lot of people there think the media is stuffing this narrative of climate crisis down their throat to somehow fool them. Hmm. Um, And so by pivoting and saying like, oh, why is the media scaring us so much about this? You know, we found common ground to talk about how the media is covering climate crisis. And from then, because they had seen the climate, they've seen climate change in their lifetime. They know it's going on. I mean, they're they're weathering these giant floods and et cetera that haven't happened for hundreds of years. So then we could talk about that. It's like the media is trying to scare you, but also you're stuck under a bridge in your car because the water's rising, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. so it was a really good way to connect. Um, One piece of advice I do give to young LGBTQ plus uh, teens and youth is always think about your safety too. When you're having these conversations, the first thing you should think about is, um, you know, are, is this conversation really worth it? Are you endangering yourself? Because we want you to speak your truth, and that's definitely important, but we also want you to survive. So I always say you're going to be much more, you're going to be much happier in 10 years if you might stay quiet in this situation right now. Yeah. You know, So always be a judge of that. But there are people who feel like you and who you can connect with. You just This just may not be the right time to make a stand. Mm, that's mm. a good point. Uh, Marky, you recently had your first book, Queer, the Ultimate LGBT Guide for Teens, removed from a school library in Maine. Oh. <laughs> it gets better. I'm banned. That is the fifth, that is the fifth school district. <laughs> the fifth school district in the country that has banned or restricted that book. Damn. Congratulations. Thanks so much. <laughs> what was it like Please. finding out a book you had written had been banned? Uh, I mean... First, a little shocking, and then I was really happy <laughs> only because it meant that I was um, that I had written something that obviously you know set some people off because it must be about an important issue. You know, you're only going to meet resistance unless if you're doing something right in this, right. this kind of social justice case. Um, uh, it was. At the beginning, it wasn't too shocking because at first I was banned in Florida, Oklahoma, and Idaho, which are kind of like, you know, cases where I figured that you wouldn't, people would be upset about those kind of things. Maine shocked me a little bit and kind of taught me that, oh, this is spreading. And sure enough, it is. There's a big epidemic of book banning going on right now and silencing young people and trying to keep them from information which I have to say is so silly because taking a book out of the library, that's old school. Like the kids, are, people are going to get this information anyway. And if anything, banning the book makes people want to look at, look it up more on the internet. So I'm hoping I'm reaching more people from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a, it's kind of a scary time right now where books like mine and, and other people and books that are so innocuous, um, you would think this is not controversial at all are being removed because there's kind of a moral panic going on right now, unfortunately. Um, before I jump to the next question, in like five minutes, we're going to do Q&A if you guys have questions. We're going to set up a microphone somewhere here. <laughs> and um, yeah, if you want to make your way to the microphone in the next couple minutes, you guys can line up or if nobody has questions. Um, think about it as we ask the next question. Um, there were <laughs> 2,500 instances of books being banned in the United States in 2021-2022 uh, school year. Uh, Elise and Miles, what do you guys think it says about us that we're banning books in modern U.S.? Uh, I mean, kind of to Marky's point, it's like a moral panic more than anything. Um, it's like, I feel like anytime you get any type of progress, there's always going to be backlash. 
So if you look at kind of like what was happening during like the pandemic and you saw kind of like the uprisings and things that were happening around like George Floyd and just like there was like for me personally, it felt like there was a lot of potential for progress in terms of just like what we could do as a people if like we, you know, amplified like we amplified our voices, we unified, we we weren't we a lot of us weren't working. So it was like, all right, we are fed up. Like, <laughs> let's let's make some change. Let's make something happen. Let's make something shake. And then, like, I, you notice in the years since then, there's definitely been, like, steps back almost, yeah. like, a lot of, like, a, a lot of regression. So, like, to Marky's point, like, some of the books that you're seeing that are being banned, it's, like, some, it's, like, you understand the controversy, I guess, where it's, like, okay, if you're in the Bible Belt, like, Oklahoma, they're obviously not going to want to deal, talk about some of these issues. But then there's other books where it's just, like, the main character just happens to be black, you know what I mean? The main character happens to just be like a girl. You know what I mean? Like there's literally nothing other than just like the fact that it's an identity that or something that just like scares these other groups. Um, I do think that there needs to be there needs to be more. We need to push back on our end. Um, I think that it's only going to get worse. You're seeing like you're going to see more and more ba books being banned. And it's not just going to be like it's going to pretty much be like everything. You know what I mean? Like it's like they start with the most out of pocket stuff just to get to you know, the more, I don't know how to explain what I'm trying to say, but it's like you start one way and then it, it's only going to expand and get worse. No, you're you're absolutely right because taking uh, queer books out of the library in Florida has now expanded to censoring uh, AP courses in African-American history. Yep. And it just, you know, once people come for one group, it's going to expand to other groups. So that's, you know, it just yeah. metastasizes. Like and then we're all impacted by those groups as well. You know what I mean? So it's like people are like, you know, there might be somebody out there that's like, why do I care? care about them banning a queer book or a book you know ap stuff about african-american uh, history and then it's like okay <laughs> next <laughs> next, <you>. next <laughs> year it's gonna be you know what I mean? you're gonna be they're gonna be banning books just that educate you about like whether it's you know women women's but you know what i mean it's just gonna keep going and going and going and going um so it's just like yeah i just feel like it's i also think that i mean i don't know if this is too political but the republican party's stance is very cultural now and it's because they're losing and uh, you can't have your center stance be against drag queens and not be losing. Like right. you, <laughs> at some point you're realizing, okay, well, yeah. I can't really appeal to the working class people because I clearly don't stand for them. You know, I, I can no longer just say farmers and get their vote at this point. And, um, you know, and I'm denying the very stark reality of, of a, climate crisis and you know you, this is the result is is like you're doing very reactionary policies of you know just not liking trans people and um you know and it, it feeds into you know what we're seeing in florida and that kind of proliferates across the country now but i really think that it is a signal that we're doing something right and i'm not saying that the democratic i'm just saying that you know us as people not as parties are doing something right and having the right conversations because and, and doing the right actions because they wouldn't be putting themselves in such a ridiculous corner <laughs> if it weren't the case yeah. um also want to shout out um just something gen z for change is doing really quickly because um the ap college board did ban african-american history and ap african-american history in florida and we have an automatic bot to send an automatically generated complaint to college board Twenty thousand have been sent so far um but we can keep cool. climbing it to right. prevent you know florida's policy from being you know a policy over here because yeah. they demanded it that's ridiculous but um 
anyways, yeah, I, th I think I think there's moments t to feel optimistic, um, and I really want to I want to emphasize that just because I think we feel really pessimistic a lot. Yeah. Uh, they're mad because we're winning it's yeah. basically what i tell myself all the time it's like, yeah. it seems really bad but that's only because they're getting desperate right yeah mm -hmm. um nobody's at the microphone right now <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say carhartt in the front row i, I know you guys <laughs> where are the questions i just ramble that's great <laughs> 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 okay, yeah. Extra credit if you ask a question. Oh, that's why, <laughs> that's why we jumped up. Huh? So, can you give us? Can you give us your name, your school, and then what your question is? Okay. Ho hello, uh, I'm Vincent. I'm from James Logan. Um, so, Elise, you were talking about the buzzword, the S buzzword, right? <laughs> um, what do you do if someone accuses you of that without you saying it yourself? <laughs> um, that's a good question. Oh, that's such a good question. I should know a better answer, given that that is often what I'm accused of. <laughs> you are. <laughs> um, honestly, just I, I, I think sneaking past it is often what I do. Of just like, sometimes I even just deny it. Like, hey, like all I'm asking for is for people to have healthcare and housing. If you think that is socialism it is what it is <laughs> but um how can we I, I sometimes even just ask like can we just talk about the issue we're talking about and then break that down and why you don't agree with it because the labels really aren't important i don't want to judge you don't judge me and sometimes like when people make that argument like chances are they don't know what socialism is like that <laughs> happens more often than not you know what i mean like you've seen the memes where it'll be like this is America under socialism. And people are like, this is America right now, bro. Like, you know, kiosk at the McDonald's or, no you know, or just try, yeah, no <laughs> iPhone. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So it's like people often, like, again, bad faith argument. Like they're not making, they're not calling you that. They probably don't even know what it means. If you ask them like, hey, d define socialism. Like, <laughs> I don't like. <laughs> when government. <laughs> government, yeah, when the government does something I don't like. Thank you <laughs> Thank for your you. question. Awesome. Hi, I'm Annalyn, and I'm from James Logan High School. Um, I have a question for you, Miles. I really love your videos, especially the one addressing racism in schools. And um, as a teenager and a freshman, I feel very small in my community. Mm. So how do I begin my action towards speaking out and being brave against um, like such a big community like James Logan. Yeah, I mean, James Logan, yeah, I feel like there's a few ways to look at that. I mean, you got to think kind of like on the macro level. So it's like, I think one important thing that's like help, helped me, especially as a freshman in school, is like finding my community. Um, I think that that's really important. So like, it's not, you don't have to tackle the whole community. You don't have to, you know, it's not your job to fight racism at school or to, you know, tackle this issue by yourself. I think that especially for you as a freshman, it's important to you to find, you know, it's about making your friends. It's about finding that network of people who are like-minded, people that are like, okay, we also feel this way about this issue. And once you have like your little crew of people, it could be, it could be two of y'all, you know what I mean? You just need like another person that you can bounce ideas off of and somebody else that you can like, you know, vent to and just like release to and then like once you have that community then you can start to tackle and be like okay this is something that's happening whether it's at our school or in our community or you know whatever it is that you want to tackle that like we don't like how do we fight that and by not being not not having to do it by yourself like that's probably like the best piece of advice i can mm -hmm. give for you <laughs> no problem 
Alright, uh, hi, my name is Vicente. I'm from Foothill Middle College. And Elise, I had a question for you. So, I really appreciate how you use uh, TikTok as a platform to kind of, you know, spread these uh, informed ideas. However, I also think that TikTok personally, in my experience, is a platform full of a lot of uh, confirmation bias, a lot of people who are just not interested in having conversations about anything. And I think there's a lot of negative energy going on there and a lot of hate. And I think that a lot of people and likely a lot of your fan base are kind of just interested in finding things they agree with and yes. not really being interested in any kind of discourse at all. Mm -hmm. How do you use your platform to combat that? And how can we as like a generation combat that? That is such a good question. Um, also, I grew up in Mountain View, so I'm like 10 minutes from you. So um, uh, <laughs> um, I really feel like we're just like the same. <laughs> I don't, um, but uh, anyways, um, that's a really good question. I realized that early on that like, I'm feeding into a void <laughs> by being on TikTok and um, how can I use that? So at Gen Z for Change, um, it's like it's a collection of creators on TikTok that um, use their platform to with the same purpose of I want to make a difference using this app. And we have just a collection of schemers of like, OK, how can we use code? So, for example, there is uh, 40,000 striking Kroger's workers in Southern California and they were being fired um, and they were uh, Kroger's was hiring temporary hires for the strike to water down the strikes effectiveness. Right. Somebody on our team, who's also a TikToker, coded a way to send an automatic false application. So press a button, you're sending automatic false applications to this temporary hiring application to prevent anybody from being hired to make the strike more effective. And so we, it's a combination of code, which is like separate from social media, but our skills with social media, we know how to make things go viral of, okay, you guys agree with us, right? Working class, you know, the, the labor movement's being revived. Okay, we're all going to come together and we're going to flood the application. 40,000 were sent. Every single application was taken down. In those efforts, brought national attention to striking workers in Southern California. They got a better contract. And I'm not saying definitely kudos to the 40,000 people who were striking. That's why they got a better contract. But we were able to play a role using the, you know, minds of you know people who are already agreeing with us and so it's less of trying to reach the climate denier and more trying to reach yeah we know who we're getting we're who are who's seeing our content and how can we use the people who are seeing our content for good yeah thank you for your question thank you hi my name is seth i'm from foothill middle college as well my question is for the whole panel so we see ourselves kind of in the bay area almost in this very unique bubble, especially in most of California and a lot of like blue and democratic states. You would reference the kind of almost enduring <laughs> culture that's been starting to create, started to be created, where there is almost a resistance to change. How do we address that? And how do we get these important conversations to start in, a, in different areas where when they're first brought up, they're immediately shot down. And if you are, if you bring these kind of things up, you're called a socialist. How do we get <laughs> that kind of yeah, conversations yeah. to start and get going, get that fire started? Right. I mean, a lot of the good thing about growing up in this like or being in this bubble of that has such a great history of resistance is you can use that narrative to kind of help you along. Um, you know, I feel like because I'm writing from the Bay Area when I speak 
to other people in other regions, I can use, I can leverage our history of hippies, our history <laughs> of anti-war. Like suddenly I'm an expert yes. that people have to really listen to because I've come from this place that has been doing this for, you know, hundreds of years. So for me, I kind of, uh, I kind of just use it as some cachet, some clout uh, to kind of amplify my voice when I'm going to other places. And that kind of brings people who wouldn't normally go to see some guy talking about his book. Um, they want to see, you know, oh my gosh, the guy from the hippie place talk about his book. So for me, that kind of, that's how I add a little shine to reach other people. Yeah. Um, that. Uh, I think for me on one level, it's like, I'm all like I, coming back to the community. I try to find people on the ground in those places. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's probably like the biggest thing for me where it's like, okay, like we did an episode on banning books. So it's like, I was like, what, what organizations are out there are also fighting against this? Like I know in California, you know, it's California, like you said, like it's the bubble, it's a, we're in our own little bubble. So we don't have to deal with this as much, but I know that there's people like us in these States that don't necessarily have that power. So what are they doing in a Texas or in a Florida or in a Oklahoma or in these places? So I was able to reach out to them and get in contact with them and be like, okay, so what are the things that, what are, what's happening? You guys are doing what? Going, speaking here. You're doing this. You have these type of situations to make sure that people can get access to these type of books and just understanding that, like, you know, kind of to Marky's point, like there's always like somebody else that's kind of already like doing what you want to do. Like there's already a history more often than not. And you kind of got to just find what, who, who those people are and kind of like what they've done and, and like use that as a guide to be able to be like, all right, I got to adapt it for what's going on in my community or I got to adapt that for the Internet. You know what I'm saying? I have to adapt that for whatever's relevant to the cause that I'm fighting against or want to speak out about. I just think it doesn't really matter what people think about you. If you're fighting for more public transit that's accessible, you know, someone in Texas that thinks you're a socialist for doing that, but then sees the success of having BART <laughs> is like, oh, wait, okay, well, I'm not really into the socialism stuff, but I, I really like accessible, walkable cities too. Um, and, you know, I think that the Bay Area is like just, it's just a hub of potential that, you know, the, they call us whatever now, 20 years, it happens in other places. Yeah. And so we just, I, I think that the, what the Bay Area does is it gives people hope when we're constantly reacting to the stuff that's going on in other places. There's book bans, there's, you know, all sorts of things happening in the, in the South and the Midwest, but, you know, what's happening here could be what we deserve rather than what we can fight back against. Mm. And so keep thinking about what have an imagination because that imagination actually has potential to 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 act actualize here and so you know d don't worry so much about you know providing healthcare being seen as socialism or something you know because eventually people are going to come around thank you Hi, my name's Jet I'm also from Foothill Middle College um, my questions for Miles and Elise so you're both creators of informative content, and from that perspective, I was wondering what your thoughts are on the epidemic we're facing on like fake news and misleading and false information, and how both you and us can help combat that crisis. Me? Okay. Um, yeah, are we all familiar with Turning Point USA and Breaker U? Yeah, okay. <laughs> They are funded at the tune of $90 million, <laughs> and it, that's insane. <laughs> um, so they've got a giant backing them, you know, like this Koch brothers money. Um, Gen Z for Change is the, pretty much the only thing that counters them on the internet, and we 
have less than a million and not not complaining about that i have you know i'm making a wage but it's it's a stark difference um I think the most important thing is reminding people like my my ultimate goal on social media is to get people off social media. And I think that if you can get people who are listening to Ben Shapiro and Turning Point and stuff to like learn their neighbor's name and figure out what's going on in their community and have, you know, collective organizing for a street light near a bus stop, you know? making women a little bit safer using public transit. Like that will that will get people out of that alt-right pipeline that we're so worried about. Um, and so thinking about how you can build community off the app is ultimately what's going to combat that alt-right pipeline that is so stark on, on social media and TikTok. It's insane. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, to see your yeah, I mean, so like that's kind of like the whole point of Above the Noise. Like that's what the show means. It's kind of like we're taking you above the noise of like the hype and stuff that you're seeing in the media. Um, so I like that's kind of just like how we operate. It's like, all right, we want to make sure that when you watch this video, you understand that like we vetted our sources, we vetted our experts. So, you know, that we're like we handled our business so that like you have the information to it's a launching pad. So kind of like to your point, getting people off the internet, like above the noise is just like a starting point more often than not. Like, you know, we can only do 10 minutes of a video, but like I said, there's times when like, I have like hours worth of stuff that I researched, you know what yeah. I mean? So it's like, how do I make sure that I give you the sources so you can understand like, okay, this is a valid, you, I want to make sure that you know how to find a valid source. Like, okay, this is a legit source, a legit person. They've whether they're educated or whether they have the expertise in this field, I know that this is a source that I can trust. I want to make sure that you, I, my job is to make sure that you know who that is, know how to find that person, and then also know how to like cross-reference. You know what I mean? I'm literally, above the noise is just a launching pad. So it's like if you're talking about book banning and we did an episode on book banning and you're like, okay, I, I heard you mention this organization, this study, or this article, you might start and read those articles and then you kind of go from there. It's like, okay, they mentioned this person in this article or they mentioned this study or they mentioned this university. Let me learn a little bit more. So that's how we combat it just in terms of like our, like our role in the process. It's like making sure that you just have the tools to know how. Um, and then I guess for like what you can do as an individual to like pass that along, it's kind of like, again, getting people off the internet and then like you have, you have to be that person for other folks too. It's kind of like, okay, this is what I learned. You know what I'm saying? It's easy to have a conversation with your peers. Like it's easy, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's easy to talk to your friends and be like, hey, I learned this thing. It's way easier to do that than talking to your parents or an elder sometimes. You know what I'm saying? So having those peer to peer conversations where you're bringing that information that you learned and they're bringing that information that they learned and they can be like, okay. Yours says this, mine says this. I agree with some of the, you know what I mean? And you can kind of build from that. Um, that's probably the best piece of advice. It's like using us as the launching pad to get into the real world, to take what we've given you and grow from there. Thank you. Okay. Mm -hmm. We're going to do one last question. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, Hello? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little too short for this. <laughs> you got you. you, got you. <laughs> um hello hello can you hear me yeah all right um so how do you guys like come over obstacles you know like life obstacles like challenges you face in life mm -hmm. like things in your way mm -hmm. how do you come over them for this is for everyone okay um it depends man <laughs> yeah it's hard <laughs> it really, it really, it's, a, it's a, that's a that's a that's a you know big question i think it i think it comes in waves i feel like i've seen like an image on the internet where it's like it was talking specifically about work 
And it was like, you know, people think that, you know, showing up for work is showing up 100% of the time every day, you know what I mean? But it's like, it actually looks like this. And it was like, you know, a sliding scale. So it was like Monday, 30%, Tuesday, 50%, <laughs> Wednesday, I give 90, you know what I'm saying? And then Thursday it was back down to 50, but like all of those were still like showing up. Um, so I think that that's a big part of it. It's like, you have to kind of understand that like, this is good. There's going to be waves where like stuff just doesn't go your way. Or like there are hurdles that are bigger than others. But like, if you show up like consistently every day, like if you show up and you do as much as you can, like you do the parts that are in your control, like, okay, I, if you know, you're a student, right? So it's like, I'm, I know that I can do my homework. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, that's something that you have control over. You know what I'm saying? And like, you handle the things that are in your power, in your arm's reach. Then like, once you kind of take a step back and look at all the things that have happened, you're like, okay, those, that, that little section that I was depressed or that little section that was super tough, like compared to like the overall time that I've been spending on this, it's like, it wasn't as bad as I thought. So I think it's just like understanding that like it's a process and kind of like it, it all comes in waves because um, it's not there's going to be a day where you see an obstacle and you're just like, I don't even want to deal with this right now. <laughs> like, I don't even want to look at this. You know what I mean? And that's OK. Like, that's completely fine and valid. Um, but it's just like the, over time, you'll see that it is it's worth it. I'll also just say, like, give yourself a break sometimes. Um, we're we're we grew up in a culture especially in Silicon Valley, where it's very go, go, go. And, um, you know, work as hard as you can, get as little sleep, you know, you can cut back on friends in order to get into the college you want to get into. Um, I have fed into it, and I almost lost myself. I, I mean, truly, like, I, I think that there was a time where I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't eating, and I was really just had so much climate anxiety that I didn't know what to do with it of just like, oh, the world is overwhelming and I just, I want to give up. And then I just, I go, I run 20 miles a week every week and I just went on like a 20 mile bike ride to Treasure Island with my partner and like it was just, it revives you. It connects you back to like why you're doing things and taking care of yourself. I like to say I sleep eight hours a day and I eat three meals a day. And I, I think we often forget to do that and take care of ourselves. And it's super overwhelming to be our age and growing up in this world. Um, and I think the most important thing you can do is to take care of yourself. Like we're going to be in this fight for a better world our whole life. And you want to be able to be 40 doing this. You will burn out at 22 if you don't take care of yourself. Um, and, you know, just reminding yourself of your values and all of that is important as well. So, um, yeah, just be kind. Be kind to yourself. Yeah, yeah, great advice. And I would just add um, maybe uh, self-awareness, learning about yourself, knowing yourself. I mean, I'm still learning about myself and I'm like ancient up here, but, <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, I used to be the kind of person who just was like a bull in a China shop. I just charged right through because mm -hmm. I was right. And this is, you know, I was righteous on top of that, but knowing myself a little more and being more self-aware, I realized maybe that's not the approach to the problem that the problem requires. Um, so I learned how to kind of diversify my approaches, calm myself down, take care of myself and think about things a little before I one after them yeah thank you thank you thank you awesome so we're actually going to stop there uh these guys are going to be around for a little bit after the program if you want to come talk to them ask them more questions you've been listening to the commonwealth club of california hear thousands of our podcasts on apple podcasts google play and stitcher 
If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support. Thank you.